We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. I'm Chanae Ogwumike. I'm Lisa Leslie, and we're very excited to tell you about our new podcast with Blue Wire, Front and Center. Lisa and I are breaking down what's going on in our lives, in the world, and keeping it 100. We're also learning from amazing guests as well, like Emmanuel Acho. People that show love to me, I forever got their back. Vivica A. Fox. If the foundation isn't right, then the rest of it's going to go wrong from there. And more. Subscribe to Front and Center today. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to Brooklyn Buzz. I'm Nick Faye. With me as always, Jack Manuel. Jack, how are we doing? So many coaches. So many coaches. That's what we're talking about today. But as always, you can find the Brooklyn Buzz on all streaming platforms, including otgbasketball.com and Blue Wire Pods. But Jack, who are these two new assistant coaches we got news of today? The Nets have added Mike D'Antoni and Ime Udoka as assistants to Steve Nash's staff. We also, the day after we recorded a buzz last week, we were talking about some news. They added Amari Stoudemire. I chatted about that on uh, JBT with my co-host, uh, co-host Nick Busing. But we can obviously talk about all these guys now um, with my you know, preferred, preferred <laughs> Nick. Let's put it that way. Uh, shout outs to, to all the Knicks out there. But Nick, when you saw this, you know, we were talking about your sort of reaction We've, I've sort of brought up MDA to be like, come on, please, please, come on, mate. You, you know, you want to, there's nothing else left. You're not going to go coach in Oklahoma City, but we've got both Mike D'Antoni and Ime Udoka, who, for me, both of those guys are head coaches. Jacques Vaughn yes. is a head coach. These We've had like four head coaches. You know, I think Kyrie's right, Mick. I think <laughs> Kyrie's right. Yeah, a lot of collaboration. I mean, I was pumped when I saw it. I would have been happy with one of the two guys, you know, Yudoka or D'Antoni. Like, both guys are great. And like you said, both guys were candidates for probably three or four head coaching opportunities this offseason. It just kind of worked out perfectly because I feel like if Brett Brown were to stay in Philadelphia, Yudoka would have stayed with him. But since they brought on Doc Rivers, okay, we have changes. Now, I'm not sure what the ties are to Steve Nash. Probably it's more of a tie to Sean Marks if I had to make a guess about it. Yeah, the ties to uh, Sean Marks are they were, uh, I think Yume Yudoka was a assistant in San Antonio when Sean Marks was part of the front office from yep. 2012 to 16, just before Sean Marks got the job. And also, Ime Yudoka was on the Nets list before Kenny Atkinson got hired. Yeah. So. Uh, a couple little ties there. Yeah. So, and I even saw some like rumblings. I don't know how true this is that they were trying to bring him on as an assistant for Kenny at one point as well. So he's a guy and uh, known for his defense. Obviously, Philadelphia has had a lot of great defensive talent, but they've also done some nice things schematically. So, like you bring on a great defensive guy in Yudoka, then you bring on a great offensive guy in Mike D'Antoni. I mean, Steve Nash's job just got a lot easier, in my opinion. 
Yeah, I actually had a, a little topic in here to discuss later in the doc that I had to delete because it, you know, Motorkill, uh, our friend Motorkill, we chatted to him before on, on podcasts, him sort of saying in, in previous iterations of, of the Athletic NBA show, sort of saying, well, the Nets don't really have a lot of expertise here. They've got a lot of guys. They don't have a lot of experience, but they've got like guys and names. Now that, you know, that uh, worry is just out the window. You know, they got everything now. <laughs> the expertise is so top-notch, you know. I put out a couple of tweets, obviously, throughout the day. Imei Yudoka was basically the favorite for the Chicago Bulls head coaching job before Billy Donovan mm. left Oklahoma City. So you're still talking about circumstances around Doc Rivers, Nick, as well, and Brett Brown. You know, if Billy Donovan doesn't leave um, OKC, Imei Yudoka, for me, probably has that job in Chicago. Yeah. And he is going to have a head coaching job. I, you know, I don't necessarily... He'll probably be on the staff for one year, to be honest. Yeah, and look, probably Mike D'Antoni as well. You know, these guys are too good to be assistants. But it also does show that Joe Sy is just going to be like, let's just splash this cash. You know, I was going to talk about it later. In in fact, no, I'll save it for later in the pod about, you know, his wealth in general. But uh, focusing on these sort of coaches, Ime Udoka, great defensive mind. He's going to lead the defensive side of things for the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, Mike D'Antoni is going to be the offensive coordinator. I'm already sort of my player development. Uh, I believe Jordan Ott is continuing on. Thiago Split is continuing on. Adam Harrington. Um, and I think one more name that uh, escapes me, I'll, I'll try and find it. It's a, a hyphenated name too. Uh, it <laughs> is. So you should know this. I'm blaming you. <laughs> While I look for it, give me your thoughts, I guess, on the next coaching staff in general, if you want to touch on some of those names yeah. and, and their roles going forward. Yeah, I think, like I said, it's going to make Nash's job a lot easier. But like you said, Jack, and what you mentioned, you know, Modekiel's concern with the staff before they made these hires was they don't really have experience or X's and O's other than Jacques Vaughn, who, you know, has coached in the NBA for a while in terms of being an assistant, had the stint with Orlando, obviously with the bubble nets, but still they wanted to have more. So having Dan Tony, having Yudoka, I don't think you could have set Nash up any better than this. Like, they're just so much quality on the staff. And then the other guys who are able to keep, like you mentioned, Adam Harrington, Jordan Ott, and then, you know, Amari might be able to help the bigs a little bit too so they're really covering all aspects of what you want your coaching staff to really do and it almost allows Steve Nash to be do what he does best and really just lead the team and manage personalities and just be that leader and kind of read the situation have a feel for the squad and kind of be able to learn those other coaching habits on the go because he doesn't necessarily have to put as much effort in because he's having one you know not I'm not going to say like the best ever to do it or anything like that but some of the best guys in the league currently at what they need them to do yeah you know we sort of talked about that you know the comparison point you know we make is like is it going to be like steve nash or is it going to be like um jason kidd or Derek fisher those sort mm. of like seems a lot more going down the steve nash route because joe Sy and sean marks have given him the support that you know he, he lacks he's in, he's a first time head coach yes he's had assistant coaching player development sort of you know, experience uh, in Golden State. But now, when you have the expertise of Mike D'Antoni, one of the great offense masterminds in the history of this league, Imei Yudoka, probably a head coach in waiting. And was there going to be a head coach if it weren't for, you know, the circumstances of, that we just outlined? Great defensive mind as well. You know, Amari Sotomayor is just a guy that the, the players can be on the same level with. I do have some gripes with him that I'll repeat on this podcast uh, in a little bit once we sort of discussed more about Dan Tony and Yudoka. But for me, it just makes things easier for everyone involved. And sort of despite the fact that Kyrie wants that collaboration, you know, what everyone also needs to know what their role is to yep. truly succeed. So it's just like, well, all right, Mike's going to be figuring out how we're playing. And, you know, does this mean, Nick, do you think that the Nets are... You know, uh, we, we've seen quotes that we'll get to Steve Nash from the Open Town Hall, but the hiring of, I guess, the seven seconds or less uh, alumni in, you know, Amari Stoudemire and Mike D'Antoni, do you think that speed and pace is going to yep. be a priority for the Nets offense? Yeah, I think Steve Nash still believes in that. Obviously, he hasn't really committed to anything, but I saw an interview. I'm not sure where it was. It was posted on Twitter between him and Dan Tony talking about how they wish that they've kind of even bought in more to the seven seconds or less or the small ball, the fast paced stuff, because they felt like that's where the league ended up and they were ahead of the curve and they're almost kind of trying to be too normal and like the other teams instead of just buying into what they believed in. So 
I could see some really creative things from this team offensively, given that they already have one of the most versatile offensive players in NBA history in Kevin Durant. Now you add one of the most creative coaches in Mike D'Antoni, and then a guy in Steve Nash who's just willing to try different things, and he's just willing to be different and kind of push the envelope and whatever it might be. And there's a lot of offensive talent. If the Nets make no trades, we're talking about two elite offensive players, probably two fringe all-star players in Spencer and Karras, and then arguably one of the best, if not the best three-point shooting role player in the league in Joe Harris. And then you have, oh yeah, some great lob threats in Jared Allen and DeAndre Jordan. So the options on this offense before they even make a move are pretty crazy. And there's a lot of room for creativity. You need people with the nous, with the experience, with the intelligence to be able to impact players. At the end of the day, the players have to go out there and do it. And as hyped as we are right now, you know, it is, the, the roster has an immense amount of talent. And, you know, from one through nine, one through eight, you know, there might not be a more talented roster in the yeah. NBA, but how are they going to produce? And I guess it's partly on the coaches and it's on the players to figure out that on-court chemistry. Couldn't give a shit what Kyrie's saying in the locker room. If they're winning 10 games straight, say what you want, my dude. You know, at the end of the day, that's all that matters. The name that I was, earth is uh, a triangle. I don't care. <laughs> yeah, whatever, man, whatever. <laughs> I played it on the coordinator, Ryan Forehand Kelly, uh, mm-hmm. rounds it out. You know, I said Jordan Ott, Adam Harrington, Thiago Splitter. So it, it's, we heard, you know, Steve Nash mentioned this the other day, and, and he said, we've assembled an experienced staff of high-character individuals with varied backgrounds, both on and off the court, that will help create a solid foundation for me and our players. When I set out to build this staff, I wanted to put together a committed group that will connect with our players, help put them in the best position to succeed as a team. With coaching and playing experience at the highest level and a deep background in player development, I'm confident we put the right people in place to lead us forward. It, I mean, to be honest, I'm kind of glad we didn't... I mean, Dirk would be better than Amari Stoudemire, but I'm glad we don't have a Raja Bell. I'm glad we don't have um, Igor Kokoshkov. Um, the, the names that we have right now, you know, it's the... To, to quote our guys, the glue guys, it's the dream team of coaches in, in a lot of ways. And... Again, it's coaches, so we need to temper our sort of excitement a little bit, but it's the offseason, so why not get hyped? I mean, it's still a super stack coaching staff. You know what I mean? Like, you don't necessarily see this type of thing in the NBA as much. We were just talking with our boy Corey Waldron, kind of how it's almost changing in the NBA where you're paying attention more to assistant coaches or they're playing a bigger part in team success. You know, we saw it with uh, his name. I lost his name, but the guy who was the defensive coordinator for the Houston Rockets, and they lost him and their defense just fell off a cliff. Like, exactly. So he's a guy that was so huge for them. So these guys could have a large impact. But like you said, Jack, players are going to execute, but these guys are going to put them in the best possible situations to succeed and also make sure they're really prepared because they've seen so much in the NBA, being it being an assistant coach, be a head coach, whatever it might be. They just covered a lot of different avenues with the moves they made. And you just have to be excited about it because, you know, Joe Sy's going all in on every aspect of the Nets. Absolutely. Yeah. In, in saying that, I'll, I'll, to focus on Udoka a little bit, Chris Mulholland did a good piece for Nets Daily uh, and, and uh, Brooklyn Nets 85 put out some, some good tweets surrounding and sort of outlining why he is going to be the defensive coordinator. You know, his first adjustment with the Sixers, this is from Brooklyn Nets 85, was tweaking their drop coverage because it allowed too many wide open looks. You know, likes to blitz, trap and play aggressive mm. D. Now, that he goes on to explain a little bit more, a bit of a back and forth. Do the Nets have the capabilities to do that? To me, that was probably, and, and to a lot of Nets fans, the frustration on the defense was as good as they were. And Kenny Atkinson, we'll get to him later in the show and, and his role with other teams. It, he was a bit rigid in the drop coverage. It's just like, mm. all right, Jared Allen, DeAndre Jordan, do not move past that free throw line, no matter what you do. You know, we don't want you to sort of have that sort of maneuverability and that sort of, you know, just uh, instinctual nature to go, all right, I'll move up a little bit here, I'll move back a little bit here. Uh, it seems to me that Yudoka knows how to get, make players, knows how to good, make good coverages. You know, I, I just I think that the area of weakness for the for the Nets defense right now is at the area of weakness for Nets right now is their defense. Yudoka yep. does help cover that a little bit. Right now, the capabilities of the roster aren't great either. I think that the offense, if the Nets aren't top five in offense, it's a travesty, and Mike D'Antoni should be fired. But not top three. <laughs> yeah, top three, top two, top one, yeah. whatever it is. But the Nets need to be a top 12 defense at the very yeah. least to be a championship contention. You know, we can't be the Cleveland Cavaliers of old where it was, you know, 29th in, in, in defense, you know, second, third in offense. You know, we don't have LeBron James. We have Kevin Durant, which is pretty damn good as well. But I just think that there needs to be at least balance on that side yeah. of the floor. 
Yudoka gives you that balance. Uh, and Sean Marks' job now is to make things easier for Yudoka and get him smart defensive players that we've showed t- about in, in our trade shows, the Evergreen content, check those ones out. Guys like Cummington, Tucker, you know, uh, uh, Chris Dunn, all these different sort of players that will impact this Nets team in a positive manner. You know, we need those defensive guys because right now there are guys that play it well and the systems are good. Like, you know, what was it? Eighth in defense or 10th yeah. in defense this year with a roster that's like, what, the Brooklyn Nets were 10th in defense this year? And a lot of that was Coach Kenny and, and, the, and the coaching staff. And Jared you know, Allen. <laughs> a, yeah, Jared Allen just being so damn good. And, and I think also just the, the leadership from guys like Garrett Temple mm. and DeAndre Jordan too. But now, you know, we need to take, continue taking steps forward. The roster is going to be different now. And I think that because Kyrie Irving is going to be healthy, Kevin Durant is going to be healthy, it's going to be a worse defensive team. Yes, Kevin Durant is a good defender. We know that. We know how good he was in Golden State, the steps he took forward. But coming off an Achilles injury, defense is going to be the, 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 the furthest thing from his mind. He's going to be wanting to get his offensive rhythm back and not necessarily, you know, making the efforts on both sides of the floor defensively. So I, I think that if you create a system like, you know, we sort of alluded to that Yudoka has done in, in Philadelphia, and to be honest, they underachieved defensively. Yeah. Was that Yudoka? Was that the players? I think a lot of it was probably on the players. You have Benson probably some of the roster too. Uh, that as well, you know, probably too much size and not enough flexibility on the wings and guard positions. But, you know, you have Josh Richardson, you have, you know, a guy that we've spoken about on the trade podcast, Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, you know, Al Horford, obviously. Matisse Thibel. That is a, a defensively a masterful team that terribly underachieved on that side of the floor. Now Yudoka's going to have a real challenge with guys that don't have the, the same defensive acumen. How can he, you know, use his knowledge and skills to impact this team overall systematically, individually? Uh, I'm really intrigued. And obviously, like I said, Sean Marks is going to get to work, get some defensive guys on the roster. Yeah, and he arguably had, you know, two guys that could win defensive players of the year in a Ben Simmons and a Joel Embiid. Like, they're, you know, Joel probably wasn't that great defensively this last season. The season prior, he was better, and he's a force when he actually wants to play. Like you said, Jack, it's going to be on Sean Marks to get Udoka some tools, you know, get him some players that he can throw out there to run some of these schemes. But I do like the fact that he's willing to adjust, be creative, because I think at times it can make it a little bit harder on the offense because, hey, are they going to drop? Are they going to blitz us? Are they going to trap us here? What are they doing? It kind of keeps them on their toes and it can disrupt what they're doing. We saw Miami have a lot of success with that. Maybe, you know, they went a little bit with the zone heavy, but at different points, they're running different aspects of the zone, attacking different players. And that's what the Nets need to do, especially if they're not able to get that talent level up defensively, which they'll be able to get it up a little, but they're not going to all of a sudden become a top five defense. Yeah, system is going to be important. And, you know, I think the systems that you get from the that are imp- that are implemented by your assistant coaches and in collaboration with your head coach collaboration again and probably the players too you know the players know what their talents are and there'll be a back and forth about that and i also think that these guys are going to be able to relate to each other on, on, on a level you know yudoka just seems to me like a, a you know we know he's going to be a head coach one day you know i'm actually kind of surprised that you know uh, oklahoma city whether they were contacting him or whether it was like, you know, Oklahoma City, a smaller market team, wasn't willing to offer him, you know, an extensive contract or something around those lines. I have no idea. But for me... Maybe he didn't like the situation because he's had opportunities in the past to take jobs and he turned them down because he didn't like the situation. Yeah, and and it makes sense because I, I would assume... He would be compensated quite well by Joe Sy. You know, I think Mike D'Antoni yep. would be as well. And that's what I said in the last episode. You know, Joe Sy has deep pockets. You know, he's the set, maybe the second richest uh, owner in the NBA right now. I'm not sure of the total updates. I'll get to that a little bit later in the episode. But in saying that, I just think it's 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 all good things for, for the Brooklyn Nets and their coaching staff. Now it's on the players to be able to go forward. Uh, I do want to... Did you have any other thoughts on I got one more no on you, Doka. Um, I just think the aspect that you're running different defenses throughout the regular season sets you up so well for the postseason because now you have that option to go to that playbook or go to that scheme. Because I remember listening to a podcast and it was on The Athletic. I can't recall who it was. I want to say it was a Bucks, you know, insider or something like that. And they were talking about how it was so hard for the Bucks to adjust because they literally play drop coverage and only drop coverage the entire year. Their defense focused on shutting down the paint giving up corner threes or giving up threes across the board they didn't care as much and then when it came to the postseason they were trying to adjust but the players just weren't used to it so it made it that much harder and you know all it takes is a few games and you're out of the postseason so having that advantage in the regular season I think is going to be big for uh, having an assistant coach that's willing to adjust at least what we think he is 
Yeah, for sure, for sure. In in saying that, Nick, I saw a, a pretty, I don't know if it was insensitive or just stupid poll by hoops type sort of saying, who's going to be the head coach of the Brooklyn Nets in 2022? And it basically had all of the names, Mike D'Antoni, Ime Yudoka, Steve Nash. Why does a, a national sort of wide account do that sort of shit? Like, I get that it's clickbaity and traction or whatever, but... I don't know. It, it, it just rubs me a little bit the wrong way. And I guess it's it rubs weird me because, because it's like Steve Nash is a, such a great player and a hall of fame point guard. And it's just like in your brain, you would be like, you think that people would give him more respect. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah, I don't know. Jack. I, people, I just, it's something we got to get used to because the nets are going to be in the headlines a lot and a lot of negative stuff. You already can, you can feel the envy already. Yeah, exactly. It, it's, I mean, this is all just fuel for the fire as was sort of mentioned, Nick. Uh, I guess Mike D'Antoni, how impactful do you think he will be, Nick, on the on the on the, the offensive side of things? Uh, we sort of mentioned the pace of space. Do you expect the Nets to be a team that takes more three pointers next season? You know, do you expect them to be top five in, in that sort of area? They already are really yes. great, quite clearly. In, in that sort of respect, where do you see the style sort of going forward? For the 2020, hopefully I don't have to say this a million times, 2020-21 in Brooklyn Nets. Yeah, I mean, I could see the pace picking up a little bit because, you know, at points in this past season, at times, the Nets didn't really play fast. And I think that's something that would be to their advantage, having so many great offensive players now on the team. So I think you could see that. I think three-point shooting, like you said, Jack, we already shoot a ton of threes. So I'd be surprised if the Nets get that much higher. They might go up a few attempts, but that might be more so having Kyrie with more pull-ups, KD with more pull-ups, or whatever it might be. I think you probably will see maybe a couple more shots earlier in the shot clock, just trying to pick up that pace, take as many opportunities as you can. But I really think, like, as good as D'Antoni is offensively, I think him just being there as a mentor for Steve Nash is just going to be so huge because this is a guy that's, you know, he's actually already taught Steve Nash things because he was his head coach when he was an MVP player. Yeah, it's you couldn't find a better match for having sort of a, a mentor while you are sort of finding your footing. You know, there's Ron Adams for, for Steve Kerr and Mike Brown, those sort of guys. You know, I think that coaching is more collective and, and more mm. collaborative these days, you know, not to just sort of continue to go down that route of, of that specific sort of word, but, you know, it, it's gone beyond. I'm, I'm not sure what other sports are like. Uh, I, I know that in what football is like, but I think in the NBA right now, you know, you need to recognize, and I think Steve Nash has been sort of like, you know, I know I'm not going to know everything. And yep. he's going to find guys, he's already found guys that plug in the gaps of, of his own weaknesses in terms of inexperience, you know, knowing defensive schemes, X's and O's, all those sort of things. It's just like, and imparting that wisdom for him, for when Mike D'Antoni and, and, and Amei Yudoka do leave, he has the knowledge that they've yep. imparted on him. And they can teach him, this is what you got to do for practices. This is what you got to do for game day situations. This is what you got to do for rotations. The impact that they're not going to just have on the players, but on Steve Nash, is going to be huge. Yeah, especially long-term, like you said, Jack, because both guys could easily be gone. Same thing with Jacques Vaughn. He could easily be gone next year. You know, even Adam Harrington, I could, wouldn't be surprised if he got some hyping and got maybe a bigger assistant job somewhere else next year. So, you know, it's going to be important for Steve Nash to kind of suck up all the information at least as much as he can. Absolutely, absolutely. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility of your hiring. You only pay for what you need and can pause your account at any time. And there's no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you with the important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job posts, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through September 30th. The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at BetOnline. BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. 
You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, divisions, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to BetOnline today. Take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word, BetOnline, your online sportsbooks experts. In, in saying that, we heard Steve Nash in the Open Town Hall. You know, it wasn't necessarily, it was similar sort of Netsy stuff where we could get maybe one good quote out of it. Yeah, but yeah. the one good quote that we got is certainly worth discussing. We're playing for a championship. I don't mm. want to say that anything less than a championship is not a success because you never know what happens in life. You never know the way the ball bounces. Fortune is a big part of winning an NBA championship. But we are playing for a championship and we're going to build accordingly. We're going to frame everything we do in the lens of is this a championship characteristic or is this worth championship quality? One thing I want to say really quickly, Nick, that sounds like Kevin Durant last year. Yeah, I thought Kenny the same thing. got fired. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So same I guess what are, yeah. what are your thoughts hearing that from Steve Nash? I love it. I mean, I think that's the aspect you have to have. You have to come in looking for the pressure. And I think Steve Nash hasn't hidden from that. He said when he took the job, he wanted to have that tension and that like hype with being a, a contending team. So I'm pretty excited for him coming out there and saying like, we need to win a championship. And I think like you said, with the Kevin Durant thing, like building those habits and seeing how that can impact you long-term to get to your main goal. Yeah. The regular season is important, but at the end of the day, postseason and championship in the finals is what really matters. And the fact that he says, you know, he wants to make defense a priority you know, that's what you need because if you want to be a championship team, like you're saying, Jack, you need to at least be a top 10 defense. And he knows because he was on a ton of great Suns teams that were amazing on offense, but the defense wasn't quite there and they never got that championship. Yep. Yep. Uh, you know, defense priority was probably the other sort of big quote from it. I, I think that I like the fact that he's like, you know, we need luck. You yeah. need luck so much. You know, I, I think so many people say this, that winning a championship is goddamn hard no matter what circumstances. And, you know, asterisks just don't freaking exist. Simple as that. You know, you have to win a championship. You have to get there in the first place, which is hard enough to get to the NBA finals. And then, you know, solidifying it and, and going the whole distance uh, is going to be, you know, the big sort of thing. He did one thing just scrolling through, I guess, some of the quotes, Nick. You know, the collaboration thing was mentioned again. And I guess it sort of reiterates what I was sort of saying. He goes, I'd, rather, I'd much rather come in with principles, with ideas that allow our players to look, collaborate with us and allow their personalities and the dynamic between them and the chemistry to have a role in how it evolves. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't read this quote basically until now. I'm scrolling through articles as we sort of go through it. Um, Steve Nash and, and me are on the same wavelength. It's that sort of international chill vibe. Um, Steve Nash needs to grow his hair out again. For those that aren't playing along at home, you know, we don't have the video going for, for these Book and Buzz podcasts. I'm letting the hair out in, in a lot of these podcasts these days. Check out the outlet. You can get a uh, firsthand yeah, view of that in there. But uh, I agree, Jack. You know, just tr having that vibe and wanting to people to succeed, you know, being very positive and saying, like, you know, there are things that a player could teach me or I could learn from them or allowing them to have this flexibility could allow them to grow or allow the chemistry between them to have success. So everything he said just makes a ton of sense, and it kind of just lines up with what he's been saying and kind of even what Kyrie said on uh, the KD pod. Yeah, absolutely. I think that it, Steve Nash isn't going to be a guy that's going to be intimidated by the personalities mm -hmm. and, and the egos of, again, I, I preface ego with the, the sense of that it's not a negative word. When you are a superstar and, and when you are as good as what you do, if you don't have an ego, that's almost weird. You know, not everyone's Tim Duncan. And I think Tim Duncan behind the scenes is probably a little bit more, yeah. uh, you know, you hear stories about it, but it's just the, the, his personality in, in that sort of realm. Nick, Amari Stoudemire. Now, I'm not sure if you heard my thoughts on JBT. I, I was sort of skeptical. Yeah. And, and for those that playing along at home and haven't checked it out, again, OTD Basketball on YouTube, search it out. Um, JBT's there, outlets there. Um, heap of good podcasts, heap of good video content. I was skeptical only around the character of Amari Stoudemire in terms of what his history in, in regards to... He's made homophobic comments before. Mm -hmm. And it just... It was not... It's not a good look. And I don't... And I, and I preface this and I'll say it again. I'm not labeling Amari Stoudemire a homophobe. I'm not saying that we judge people by their worst days. I'm, I'm not saying he hasn't grown from that. But I hope he has because yeah. the... The philosophies that I hold dear to myself, and I know you do as well, the Brooklyn Nets seem to hold dear to them, and all of us in terms of inclusion and openness and, and welcomeness and everyone being able to be fully express themselves in, in, in whatever realm uh, they choose to be, um, 
it just it just rubbed me and it was just like why is no one talking about this and yeah. um, again these comments came from 2012 and 2017 so mm. not necessarily like you know they happened yesterday so but uh, again it's sort of like the jason kidd thing it's just everyone sort of dismisses things uh, about a person's past in a way that it's sort of just like well we need the fullest picture of a person to fully judge them and again, it's not to say that Amari Stoudemire is a bad person and that he is, you know, he, he totally believes these things and he hasn't been educated in a way since then. I just really hope that he has uh, because I don't want those philosophies and those comments to continue to happen. Like if he's on the mic um, and he's saying things or, or whatever and he's given a platform to, to say that, uh, if he's not fired immediately, uh, then I would be uh, really disappointed in the Nets organization. But I'd be again, very surprised if he wasn't. I, I am, and like you said, Jack, I think we have to give him the opportunity to see if he, you know, understands the mistakes that he made. And you know, we're giving him a clean slate. Obviously, we. I'm not gonna judge anybody because obviously, uh, I'm sure I've made plenty of mistakes in my life. But again, that's not something you want as somebody who's in a leadership position in your organization or on your team. You know, obviously, he's only player development, but he's still repping the Nets and what they mean. And I, I agree with you, Jack. I think if anything were to happen, if anything were to come up of that, he would probably be let go almost immediately. Uh, I hope that he learned his lesson. It seems like he's grown obviously a lot. And, you know, and I don't think Steve Nash would want that around the team. You know, obviously he has a great relationship with Amari, but uh, he's smart enough to understand and everything that he spoke about on all the press conferences he had to do, especially about white privilege and things along those lines. So I think Nash understands the social climate. And if Amari still had that mindset, he wouldn't be in Brooklyn. Do you think that Sean Marks and Josiah and Steve Nash did their due diligence and say, again, we are trying to go into the absolute minutia of, of the behind the scenes thing here and, and speculate, well, we've got a podcast, so why not? Do you think that in the interview process and, and the sort of courting process and, and the hiring process, they were like, Amari, what happened here? You know, And you know, I don't give a shit about the wine bars and all that sort of court, like weird kooky stuff. I like that. I, I like people who, who can be a bit different and, and, be, and, be, and be themselves. I don't like disparaging comments and homophobic comments and, and anything that is against someone's race, creed, religion, uh, or sexuality. Do you think that that was spoken about at all? Again, I'm not asking you to say, oh, blah, 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 blah. But, I you know, honestly have no idea, Jack. I mean, I don't even know really the interview process for assistant coaches. Like, I don't yeah. know if they necessarily get interviewed to the highest extent or even if they get interviewed, if it's more so of a thing where, hey, you know, Steve Nash wants Amari. You know, we're kind of trusting Steve Nash in this situation and bring him on. Obviously, there's some type of like paperwork and some questions, but I don't know if it even got discussed. Maybe it's kind of like, hey, Steve Nash, like this is the guy you brought in. And like Nash is going to expect him to stay up to the standard of what you would expect someone to do and not say things like that. Yeah. If you were Steve Nash, would you have asked him um, in terms of clarifying that? In terms I would of have just... clarified with him because I think Amari has had not not to say like he's had like a jokester type personality. And I would, yeah. you know, you'd have to talk to him about like, hey, this is a serious stuff where you're an assistant coach. You're repping the team like we'll have fun. We'll do different things. But you're also representing the organization on a, a different level of a, almost on a more professional level than you are as a player, because as a player, yeah. you're almost separated where when you're in front office or a coach, it's like you're really part of that organization staff so i think nash had a talk with him i don't know about those specific comments i wouldn't be surprised if steve nash had talked to him prior about it before any of this even happened and just saying like yo amari come on bro like you know better than that yeah absolutely and and we know the leadership of, of steve nash with those phoenix suns teams you know jared dudley said on previous podcast that it was he was ordering for them because he he just knew so much about diet before everyone else did in the yep. NBA before that became a sort of you know the diet revolution and the beyond meat revolution that is happening in brooklyn right now I guess focusing on the X's and O's of Amari Sotomayor and what he can bring to the to the Nets and as, as an assistant coach, Nick, uh, I, I said this on JBT and, it, and it's pretty, I'll, I'll repeat it again. What he can bring for a guy like Jared Allen, Nicholas Claxton, and you know, DeAndre Jordan for that matter, in terms of you know his offensive nous and know-how, you know, pick and roll coverage. Obviously, he's not a great defender. He's, in fact, he's even said in before, I, had, I was never taught defense. I don't do defense. Again, he's, he's going to be the Bill Murray of the assistant coaching ranks. Uh, keep him away from him, mate. You don't for police, and thank you. But in saying that, who do you think he impacts most out of Jared Allen, DeAndre Jordan, and Nicholas Claxton? Yeah, I think DeAndre is probably going to be the, the least receptive to like changes just because he's the oldest and he's in his ways. I'm sure he'll listen to Amari a little bit, but I feel like you can really mold somebody like a Jared Allen and a Nick, Nick Claxton. I would probably say Claxton the most because 
he'll be the most eager to probably get side work, especially if he's not getting minutes. And he probably looked up to Amari maybe the most out of everyone there because he's the youngest of the three. Obviously, Jared's not too old himself, so he probably looks at him pretty high. So I would say Jared and Claxton, just because he can teach them things in terms of pick and roll offensively, like rolling to the rim, footwork, slip screens. Obviously, Jared's already pretty good at that, but that pick and roll combo you saw between Steve Nash and Amari Stoudemire was literally unstoppable. You could maybe argue maybe he's more similar to Nick Claxton because Claxton has that mid-range game, has a little bit of a jumper, where Jared Allen hasn't really showed that. You know, Amari wasn't a big shooter, but he would shoot the elbow jumper sometimes, do that little in-between stuff. So that's where I think maybe Claxton could benefit more. Yeah, uh, I think you make good points there. I think one thing that he will benefit you know, in terms of off-court sort of stuff with a guy like DeAndre Jordan, Kyrie, KD. You know, he's experienced the bright lights of New York yeah. before. You know, he's been a star, and he's sort of, you know, had to He was damn that. good with the Knicks before he got hurt. He was very, yeah. very good. Yeah, absolutely. And go, guys, go check out Trainwreck. Great movie. Amari Stoudemire is really good in that. I love that movie. I've rewatched it like a million times. LeBron is also awesome in that, which is why I'm hyped for Space Jam too. Uh, and a podcast for another day. <laughs> but in, in, in saying that, you know, I think Amari's personality and ability to sort of just relate to guys on a one-on-one level. We've heard KD say before how much, you know, former players should be in the, in the coaching front office sort of ranks. And, you know, these guys have that know-how, that knowledge that, you know, sort of, you know, book guys and nerds like me and you don't know. So, mm-hmm. you know, they don't have the, the history and the experience of, of going through the, the arduous nature of an A2 game season, the playoffs, dealing with the interviews, the, the practices, all these different things. So to have a former player on uh, as a head coach, as a player development coach, uh, I think that we couldn't have asked for more in this offseason so far in terms of filling out the coaching ranks, Nick. Uh, again, we've sort of given our, the fullest breadth of, of the analysis for Amari, good and bad. Again, next step is Sean Marks doing his thing. Whether he's uh, listening, just Sean, just go listen to about the 4 million different <laughs> hours of content we've done on the, the Nets. We haven't even started free agency yet. We've still got like an episode or two to go of trade stuff as well. So if you're looking for, for some ideas, my guy, you know, just look across the pond. You know, New Zealand's right there. The Trans-Tasman uh, travel agreements are opening up. Uh, the, Australians will know what I'm talking about here. Nick. Don't worry about that. Australians <laughs> and New Zealanders know what I'm talking about. So, you know, we can have a flight together. I'll meet you in Auckland. You can meet me in Melbourne. I'll have a bit of a coffee. We'll chat some Nets trade, some Nets free agency. We'll get it done, my guy, because... Uh, I'm switched on. I know what's good for this team. I like to think I know what's good for this team. Anyway, but um, I guess was there anything else before we move on to, I guess, the, the next season in general, Nick, uh, before uh, about the coaches and stuff that you wanted to touch on? No, I think we pretty much covered it, Jack. I think Amari, one note would just be like you mentioned it. He has a different personality, and maybe that's someone who can click with somebody like a Kyrie Irving or somebody who is a little bit different. I think in terms of having personalities covered on the the players, we got that, and now we have it covered for the coaches too. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Uh, Nick, we got the news earlier this week about the, the season possibly returning on December 22. One thing that I immediately kept sprung to mind was – the question, are the Nets a beneficiary of an early early return of the NBA season? Now, we've heard that this could get pushed back to MLK Day now. But just hypothetically speaking, does this benefit the Brooklyn Nets if the NBA were to return on December 22? Yeah, I mean, I think there's an argument for it. You know, it's a little bit of rest versus rust because obviously Kyrie and KD haven't suited up in a very long time, KD specifically. But they're going to be well charged up you know there's not necessarily going to be that fatigue that wear and tear that lebron james might have to deal with even anthony davis even being younger that miami team that boston team that denver team so i think over some of the contenders they definitely have an advantage i don't think it's as much over a team like let's say milwaukee who got knocked out in the second round or the clippers who got knocked out in the second round like yeah they they played this year but they're going to have ample time and they didn't necessarily play like a large slate of games so it'll be a slight boost maybe over the contenders but I, it depends really on how the schedule kind of falls out or when it, when the season even starts. Because like you said, if it starts in December, I think it gives them a little bit more advantage. If it's January, that rest is there and they're probably going to you know space the schedule out so teams can get ample rest. So there's some other variables. There's probably a minor touch, but I don't think it'll be enough to like dictate who's going to win a championship. No, I don't think that. But I do think that there are benefits to teams like the Brooklyn Nets and the Golden State Warriors. You know, the... The rest and rust element is is a thing, and and at this point in time, 
you know, people were sort of saying, well, is KD going to be healthy? Well, like he was contemplating, there was rumors that we brought up a million times about if he's going to head to Orlando for the bubble. And now he has these extra months off. And I, I also think that they, they're going to be rusty anyway. Yeah. So I'd rather them have some more games to figure out that. They're going to have to load manage in some sense the imagination, you know, given the condensed fixture that is going to be likely. So I'd rather let them figure things out, take some games off here and there, you know, the travel, all those different things. I'd rather, I know your thoughts are personally about a, a later season start, but in terms of for the benefit for the Brooklyn Nets, I think an earlier season start for them would benefit them to figure out things because there's a lot of newness there. There's, you know, we have a lot of pieces coming back, but with the head we can coach, have more pieces coming. Exactly. With players and with coaches, there's going to have to be some sort of a change in that regard. So I, I, I'm somewhat enthused uh, and, and I think it could benefit them in some sort of realm of the imagination. But Nick, hypothetically speaking, just, just in case we, just before we do get the news that it gets pushed back to MLK Day, I need to ask this question. Who I put this poll out, not sure uh, who you voted for. Who would be the most entertaining matchup for the Nets on Christmas Day? And the options I gave were Warriors, Celtics, Lakers, and other. Who'd you vote for? I think I voted for the Warriors. Um, yep. I just feel like that would be the most fun. It would be, almost, I want to say, a little bit almost less serious to an extent because there's not as much hatred. Obviously, KD left the Warriors, but like Steph, KD, you know, both back this season, Clay back this season, Kyrie back, like all this hype and possibly a finals preview. I feel like if it was the Celtics, it would be more like evil and like, I don't know, it's just like not the vibe you want on Christmas. And with the Lakers, it feels like it would be super serious. Or it also feels like I don't want to see that Lakers matchup because both teams aren't going to be the best versions of, them, of themselves. Like as high as I am on the Warriors, like I think it's a way more likely that the Lakers get back to the finals over, let's say, Golden State. So I'd like to see the Nets and Lakers match up later in the year where they're both you know, healthy and kind of riding at full cylinder to see where both teams are at in, in comparison to each other. Where I feel like if the Warriors and Nets played on Christmas, I would really enjoy the game, almost even if the Nets lost, because I just think there's some really fun elements to it. Yeah, it would obviously be an early season matchup, so you can't do massive takeaways from it. Well, you can to an extent based off what are the takeaways, how players perform, how the team performs as a collective. You know, obviously the storylines uh, are plenty given the history with the, with the two teams um, and, and the players involved. You know, Steve Kerr, Steve Nash, all these different sort of storylines. You know, you could hype up and analyze it to, you know, I feel like it just even if it was a blowout, we could still do a 45-minute game recap on it. And Draymond and Katie look at each other like one time. <laughs> yeah, and Steve Kerr, Steve Nash, how do they handshake? Do they give a fist bump? Do they give an elbow bump? What's happening there? Uh, Again, Celtics, I think, would be... Uh, we didn't. We haven't seen Kyrie get to go uh, against his former team yet. You know, they were salty as hell. Would let hate linger, probably. Celtics fans are salty as hell. I saw a Kyrie tweet from the Celtics blog today. Oh, Jesus. Like, what, what, uh, man, just get over it. Just it was like, over- oh, Kyrie's going to need more than seven seconds to dribble. Oh, God, man. Just like, rent-free. Yeah. Like, rent-free. Like, uh, it feels like... Nets fans do it to an extent to Celtics and, and Knicks, but we do it because they do it in the first place. Yeah. Like, like you, you've got Jason Tatum, you've got Jalen Brown, you've got your own stuff to worry about. We're just in the Think Eastern of, Conference Finals. <laughs> like, why, why are we on your, why is Kyrie on your mind? Like, just get it, get it out of I your head. Mention, uh, your boy Kemba didn't play too well. So like, you're yeah. talking about point guards too much. <laughs> like, Hashtag Kyrie better. Exclamation point. Even though those exclamation points don't come up in the tweets and the hashtags, but yeah, in yeah, I think that Christmas. We love Christmas basketball in one way or another, and if we get it, it'll be fun either way, and it'll be fun to analyze. Nick, the some other big news that came out this week uh, via our guys, the the UK Nets fan account, and they were sort of getting it from uh, UK Nets fans. Sorry, uh, massive shouts, and they do awesome content on on the Brooklyn Nets. But they were able to do some sleuthing and, and were saying that word on the street is the Brooklyn Nets will wear a Jean-Michael Basquiat-inspired jersey next season. Uh, the artist who was born in Brooklyn in 1960 uh, also is uh, an artistic role model and idol of Kevin Durant. You seen these, my guy? Yeah, I did see these. I, I thought they were pretty interesting. Like, I think art is very subjective, so I'm not going to, like, I know some people have like, oh, these are disgusting. Or some people are like, I absolutely love these. Like, I feel like a lot of the time with these jerseys, your opinion on them is probably going to change when you see them on the players and on the court. But based off of like how they look, I like the uniqueness of it. But I'm going to wait to give my full opinion until I see KD rocking these on opening night. 
Yeah, or, I, you know, depending on wherever game they do wear them, because they probably won't be opening night. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, I just, I just like different stuff. Yeah. Um, and to me, this looks really cool. And I'm not a massive jersey buyer, but if this was in a t-shirt or a hoodie, man, hook hook me up. And gonna you know, give me these in shorts. You know, I actually bought some Brooklyn Nets shorts the other day. So like, you know, it's getting down to summer here in Australia. So I need some more summer gear. Maybe I should buy this jersey. But I like the colors, you know, the sort Bring of... guns out, Jack. Yeah, good guns out. Um, yeah, I don't really have many guns. They're probably pistols at the best. <laughs> uh, but I like the sort of the graffiti nature. You know, yep. for those that don't know, Jean-Michael Basquiat is one of the coolest, uh, just aesthetically cool artists that, in the history of, you know, just visual art. You know, the colors, I like the sort of little trimming with the sort of red paint splotches, the blue paint splotches, uh, the blue Nike... The way Nets is written, I know some people were like, what's going on here? But there's like a sort of like a, a brackets around it with a yeah. yellow and a blue. Um, it almost looks I like a like, math problem. <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of like it, to be honest. And, and the fact that Brooklyn's sort of done in that sort of graffiti, sort of sketchy writing. I'm a fan, Nick. I don't know. I, I know some others were less enthused. Some were more enthused. I really like these. And, you know, I, I think that they're better than last year's city ones, which were the sort of more... Uh, how, how would you describe the the gray ones with the the sort of weirder graffiti sort of look? Yeah, they just I don't know they just didn't really hit. I don't know how I would even describe them. I remember doing the podcast and them not looking great. They did end up looking better on the floor, like yeah. when we saw them on the players. But when we saw the initial drop, we were like, "Yo, come on, guys, <laughs> you gave you gave us some really good ones and then this." But uh, I I think these are these are pretty nice. Like like I said, I'll give my full opinion after I see them on the court. But I like the uniqueness, just something different that. We haven't necessarily seen on an NBA jersey. No, and you know, city edition jerseys—they <laughs> they seem to be dropping left, right, and center these days. I'd prefer them to be different and, yep. and, and, and experimental than sort of just like ah, oh, there's you know some black with a, a little bit of trimming. Wow, on you it. reversed your colors. Great job. <laughs> yeah, like black and white, white and black, or whatever it is. You know, the Nets have like you know the Cougar jerseys are iconic. You know, the New Jersey ones are going to be absolutely awesome. You know, the, the collection of, of, of jerseys and graphics that the Nets are going to have going forward. Um, not sure if my wardrobe is going to be able to fit it all going, going forward. I might have to get rid of some old stuff, get rid of that Jeremy Lin t-shirt jersey, maybe. <laughs> uh, you know what? I'm going to bring up Jeremy Lin right now. Uh, Nick, Jeremy Lin has been rumored to join the Brooklyn Nets or Golden State Warriors. Are we getting Brook, hash, Brook, hashtag Brooklyn back in BK? We are not. This is probably a false rumor. Um, I, I, you recall this. When we talked about Jeremy Lin departing, there was actually some issues between him and the Nets and him not wanting to follow the training regimen they had for him returning or his rehab regimen. And then I want to say there was like a subliminal comment from him when he left the Nets and was traded to Atlanta, something like, oh, they traded me, but I felt like we had unfinished business. And I just I can't really see Jeremy Lin having an impact on this team either. Like the last time he was in the NBA, he was on the Raptors. He didn't play, I want to say, a lick of minutes in the finals. Like, he just doesn't have it. The guy's dealt with a lot of injuries, and he just his body doesn't look like it's NBA-capable anymore. Championship player, though, Nick. Need that championship experience. <laughs> Add him to the uh, – look, I I think Joe Sy has some media connects. I think yeah. Joe Sy honestly, you know, probably texts whoever it is, Alex Kennedy, Woj, and sort of like, you know what? Let, let Lynn Sanity know that I'm still thinking about him. And Golden State, obviously, both of these teams have uh, incredible international fan bases mm. based off, you know, Jeremy Lin, Josiah, um, obviously the Golden State Warriors, uh, th their base is, is incredible internationally and within um, the Bay Area. So I think that these rumors uh, are what we get in yep. you know, the, the offseason. But as a sort of, you know, traditionalist and, and just to sort of reminisce and go, oh, man, i got to chuck on that Jeremy Lin t-shirt jersey again. Um <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I can't see it happening, especially with the, the dearth of guards. I, I honestly think that Jeremy Lin might have something to give. I think that he is a good personality, veteran presence. And I think that as a vet minimum sort of guy, Jared Dudley, Vince Carter sort of style, I think that as a teammate, he, he can add a lot. And I think that just his personality meshes well. Seems really friendly. Um, you know, he, he's really big on his face. Um, and, and I think that that can have a, an impact on a roster in the locker room. I don't think it's with the Brooklyn Nets yep. and the Golden State Warriors, but who knows? You know, whether he, if he goes back to Atlanta, you know, I think he could be a, a nice little fit there or whatever. Uh, I just think that 
it's nice to sort of reminisce uh, at this point in time and like just think back to Lynn Sanity, think back to the enthusiasm we had with D'Angelo Russell and Jeremy Lin and those sort of things. And while it didn't work out and it was uh, a bit more negative uh, of an experience and he didn't get, like you mentioned, the most out of it that he would have wanted and Nets fans would have wanted, uh, it was a, a hell of a time, you know, to, what's like three years ago? It feels like, yeah, it feels um, like decades ago. Yeah. I mean, if he didn't, I think I want to say it was his patella tendon that ended up rupturing yeah. or snapping. And if that didn't happen, who knows? You know, maybe the Nets process is picked up. Things end up completely differently. You know, I don't really know. But maybe he'll get back in the NBA. Maybe he won't. You know, God bless him. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, all, all the best for Jeremy Lin um, and his NBA and basketball future. You know, even if it, he, he will continue to make millions in China. and, yeah. and He's an icon money. over there. Absolute icon. Nick, we're getting into some goddamn wholesome content right now. It is Halloween, Halloween season. By the time this is dropping, I'm not sure if it's going to be Halloween will be over, but who cares? Because it's also Joe Harris news, and his sister <laughs> posted some goddamn heartwarming. My heart couldn't handle it. I got tagged in this four times. I got like DMs from like three people. It's like Jack, see this, Jack, see this. I'm like, oh my god, I love all of this, and I love all of you for sharing this with me. Um, and for those that haven't seen it, the Alice, uh, Alice Harris and Joe Harris were carving pumpkins. And they made the pumpkin look like it was vomiting into the toilet. And Joe Harris was making faces and smiling, cuddling his sister, wearing a Stone Cold t-shirt, his, his jacket. L- love seeing, obviously, um, Joe Harris happy, his family happy. They've had a, a, a tough year. Um, and to see this sort of content, um, my heart can't handle it, Nick. It, it really can't. Yeah, no, it was really funny, to be honest. I I, thought, I saw the picture, and I was like, oh, that's actually really creative. And I was like, oh, shit, that's Joe Harris. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just like, he just looks super happy and about it. I mean, it's a pretty good idea with the pumpkin thing with the puking. I'm surprised no one else has. I've never seen it before, so shout out to him for being creative. Yeah, man, you got to recreate that stuff with uh, with synth and, and, and see what you do over there. Get the, you know, we don't really have pumpkin fields and stuff over here, so... Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, I could speak. I'll put uh, it next year. I'll get my pumpkin and I'll have the Nets, you know, 2021 NBA champs, and then I'll have this pumpkin yeah. next to it. Yes, please. Yes, please. That sounds very, very tasty to me. I've got a couple more topics we'll, we'll finish off with, Nick. Now, the salary cap is obviously said to be either stable, going down. Uh, it hasn't been set yet. By the time this podcast is out, we could have more news about it. But as of this point, with news around the salary cap possibly declining, Nick, is it unfair for a team? that will be going into the luxury tax like the Brooklyn Nets in terms of their planning for, for this season beyond in the future, because you know, you can't plan for a pandemic. Yeah, no, you can't. I think that'd be an extremely unfair. I think even if the cap number were to drop, you have to keep almost keep the luxury tax number the same. That would just make like given around the projection of what they had going to the season. It just seems like that'd be kind of crazy to be like, Oh yeah, well, you know, just so you guys know, you're going to be paying an extra 10 million this year because the luxury tax number is a lot lower than you anticipated. So I feel like the right thing to do would make the numbers artificial for this season because that's what the, you know, all the teams had planned for and things like that. But Really, I don't think anybody has an answer for this. And some of it could be decided by if the NBA starts on December 22 or if it starts in January. Yeah. And so, you know, the Nets, obviously, with the, the likes of the contracts of Joe Harris and Torian Prince, all these different sort of finagling we've discussed on previous podcasts with Garrett Temple's player option, sorry, team option. You know, it, it's going to be interesting to see how Sean Marks and the front office do their work. Joe Sy, obviously. Is, is shoveling out a lot of money already for this coaching staff. It he had seems to order a new me, checkbook. Yeah, it seems to me, it seems to me <laughs> that he's going to be doing the same for probably the players and the roster going forward, building a championship uh, nucleus, hopefully. But in saying that, Nick, before we do finish, a couple more. Josai has apparently, and this is via Nets Daily, uh, is now one of the world's 100 richest people. I did a little bit of extra research, and as of the point of March 23rd, I think it was, he was the in the top 10 in terms of richest NBA owners. It was like Steve Barmer and the rest. Steve Barmer's mm-hmm. like net worth is like $70 billion. Like it's that Microsoft it's, money. Yeah, I mean, it's ungodly. But Joe Sy, at, at that point, I think was at $9 billion. And Nets Daily and Bloomberg reported that he has a net worth of $16 billion. Now, this would make him, via, that, um, th- via those rankings that I did research, the second richest owner in the NBA. But obviously, I didn't look up the net worths of guys at the Lakers the and, and other places value, who, yeah, yeah. who had net worths of about 10, 11, 12 billion. 
But if jo- Josiah's obviously now probably elevated himself into the top five or whatever, do you think this bodes well for the Nets in terms of building and Josiah paying for Joe Harris, paying into the luxury tax, deep in the luxury tax, and, and all these different things in terms of team building? Yeah, 100%. I mean, just think about it this way from like an ordinary person. You get hit with a really good check, you know, this week for whatever reason you had overtime or something. You know, you're like, oh, I want to order that spot, but it's really expensive. Nah, I got that nice check this week. I'm ordering whatever the hell I want. Like, in that Joe size got the same thing. Like, yo, this dude literally went up in terms of billions this year. And yeah. other people are, like, obviously losing money in the pandemic. He's benefiting from it, not, like, intentionally or anything like that, but just given the resources and the businesses he does have – I see no reason why he wouldn't spend the money on the Nets, especially the fact that he seems like a competitive guy. You know what I mean? He really seems like he wants the Nets to be a championship team, and it seems like he wants the Nets to kind of take over New York. Not to say that he's ever directly said that, but I think as a businessman and seeing the opportunity, like how can I have more of this market space? Winning championships is how I'm going to own more of New York with the Nets, and I'm going to make more money on ticket sales, merchandise, whatever it might be, and he understands that. He's a smart guy. Yeah, with the Liberty as well. You know, it yeah. seems to me he really wants to make a, a New York uh, footprint for himself um, and, you know, his, I guess, legacy uh, as an owner. And it, it's, it's you know, we, we sort of think about, you know, we analyze this even national hiring and sort of saying, oh, is this a sort of splashy thing from a, from a new owner sort of side of it or is it Sean Marks or whatever? I just think that given the uncertain financial climate for so many people, including NBA owners, you know, the likes yeah. of Mickey Harrison, I think he's his name in Miami with owning like cruise liners and cruise liner businesses, Tillman Frittata. Again, I'm not <laughs> saying his real name. I will never say his name correctly given his uh, political ties. And and another sort of guys, you know, Josai isn't Steve Barmer, but the fact that How much is Steve Barmer worth? I'm really curious now because... <laughs> uh, last time I checked, it was $70 billion. Yeah, and Jeff, yeah, Jeff Bezos, I think, was like $120 billion or something like that. You know, that's probably... Bezos again, isn't surprising, but Bomber, like, 70 bill is pretty surprising. Like, I knew he was mad rich, but, like, that level of rich is just, like, you're literally setting up your great, 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 great grandkids. Like, they're set for their entire lifetime. Yeah, and he still can't buy a championship with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. It's not for lack of energy, though. No, not at all. Uh, maybe, um, maybe you can buy some new, less sweaty polos for next season. But yeah, I, I, I personally, uh, yeah, I personally, I personally think that, given what other teams are probably going through, and just like, oh, do we go into the luxury tax? I'm not 100 percent sure. The Nets have an advantage having a guy like mm-hmm. Joe The Clippers have an advantage having a guy like Steve Barmer. You know, teams that do have stability up the top with their ownership are going to benefit in an uncertain climate competitively wise economically economic wise uh, i i think it bodes well for the nets and, and we'll we, we will likely see joe Sai go joe harris you're getting your money my guy you know we're going to use whatever exceptions we have to use whether it's a mid-level taxpayer mid-level you know joe Sai is going to be doing everything it seems and i hope he continues to prove it because he's proven it so far with the coaches uh, next step for me hopefully is the emergency brooklyn buzz when joe harris signs his contract give me that worries bomb hook it to my veins um, but yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if we got news of that before free agency starts. I mean, we got it with like the Kyrie was pretty much a lock to be in Brooklyn a month before free agency started. Yeah, I mean, I, I, we were all confident, but then like the Kevin Durant one happened like you know an hour before he was going to announce yep. it on his own Instagram. Um, but uh, I, relating to those two, Joe muscles, Harris might post it in a pumpkin or something. Oh man. <laughs> I want to buy that pumpkin. I, I would never eat it. I would never. I would maintain it, but I wouldn't clean it. I wouldn't want it to lose its integrity, um, if you know what I mean. Um, <laughs> pumpkin, pumpkin hygiene is pumpkin hygiene's a thing this time of year, ladies and gentlemen. Um, especially for for all the, our friends in in the northern hemisphere. But keep those finally, Nick, clean. Yeah, keep those pumpkins clean. Um, t- took away my segue, but anyway, <laughs> let's, get back to, let's get back to Kyrie and KD, uh, and they're collaborating on a sinker together, Nick. Now. I, I'm intrigued. I, you know, it's sort of just like getting creative opportunities to do some stuff with your buddy. It's just cool. Like, I'd love to, you know, if, if we get a, a chance one day to create like a, a Brooklyn Buzz hoodie together or something like that and sort of go, nah, let's put like this thing there or whatever. Um, and it just seems like it, it's a really cool sort of thing. So obviously both of them have their own individual brands uh, with Nike. Uh, both are incredibly popular in their own right. Kyrie, you know, with his, with, with, I think the Kyrie 7s came out quite recently. KD, I think, is up to the 
13s. I'm not 100% sure on that. I'm personally a bigger fan of the Kyries and the KDs. Um, they just fit my foot a little bit better, though I do have a pair of both. So uh, I am repping both my guys. And this is even before they came to the Brooklyn Nets. I just love their shoes. So uh, I guess, what are your thoughts on, uh, and are you going to cop these, Nick, when we do sort of see the designs come out? Maybe. I'm not really a huge sneakerhead. You know, as you get older, you kind of just are going for what's more efficient and more comfortable. I mean, I'm still riding with the good brands, but like... Get them you know, Birkenstocks going, Nick. Get them Birkenstocks. No, no, not about that life. I mean, I'm still rocking Nikes and stuff, but I might go for the running shoe that's got that extra foam that makes it feel great. <laughs> you know, we're approaching 30 over here, Jack. Got to take care of these ankles. But, uh, you know, I'll take a look at them. I think it just kind of confirms the fact which you already knew and, you know... Kyrie and Katie are just really, really good friends. Like we, I, every vibe I got from that Katie and Kyrie podcast was like, these guys are best friends and like seeing them work on projects. And like you said, Jack, it would just be fun working on, working on a project with one of your good friends. Like it's just like a different element. I know. Yeah. You know, they're, they're doing it for a billion dollar company and Nike and the shoes are going to sell crazy. So it's just, it's a really cool thing that there's probably only a few people in the world that'll ever get an opportunity to do something like that. Hey, man, we're, we're getting those hoodies, those tees for the Brooklyn Bars. We'll try and get them going sooner rather than later. We need to cop our own merch. It'd be cool if they did a combo of their logos. Yeah, I'm wondering how that's going to look. You know, I, I think that it would sell like hotcakes because, you know, both of them have individual brands that are immense. And uh, I guess the quote from this, when Kari uh, first saw the latest model of his Nike line, he immediately contacted Kevin Durant to brag about it and to compare. <laughs> it was, and he was like this. Look at this heat I have in my hand, said uh, Ben Nathongkami. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm mispronouncing that name. Uh, who helped design the Kyrie 7 um, with Kyrie Irving. Then there was some friendly competitiveness to them too, like whose shoe is better. You can totally see that conversation happening. You can be like, Kyrie's got like, all right, for those playing on the I've got my phone up right now. He's got the FaceTime going, he's like, yo, Kev, look at this. What do you got? What do you got, hey? See that? See the consistency in that design there? See the swoosh there? What are you going to do? What are you going to do with your 13s, my dude? Now, you can totally see those conversations happening between those guys. Again, another conversation that can only happen between very few individuals on this earth. True. So credit to them. And I mean, it's just a really cool thing to be like, yeah, hey, yeah, my sneaker's better than yours or whatever. I have no idea, Nick, how we continue to do our podcast in an off-season. Um, but somehow my notes continue to fill up with Nets topics to talk about. We've still got a couple that we can talk about on future episodes. Our trade uh, extravaganza still hasn't finished yet. And I feel like getting... we should give a shout to our guy, Kenny Atkinson, who got the assistant coaching job with the Clippers before yes. we forget. Because, like, you know, we might say it on a future episode, but it's kind of fresh news. And, you know, we thought Kenny would almost be a lock to get a head coaching job this year. He didn't. But he ended up on a really good staff with the Clippers and having a chance to compete for a championship and kind of work on some of the things that he needs to work on. Yeah, I was I, I, I missed that in in the doc. I'm scrolling through a bit too quickly. I highlighted topics for future episodes, but I was I was I was meaning to get to this. One thing I'm surprised about is that again, similar to Emma Yudoka, Kenny Atkinson and Yudoka make a lot of sense there. Now again, Kenny Atkinson, a living situation in LA, having less pressure and responsibility of being a head coach. You know, I think that again, Steve Getting Barber, the experience he needs. Yeah, Steve giving you that Steve Barmer mommy. I, I think he, he's the the lead, the lead assistant as well. So he's no longer just going to be known, as, at least from our point of view, he's always going to have the element of being a player development guy. But, you know, you learn new things when you go into a new role. You know, obviously in New York and Atlanta, you know, the impact that he had on the young guys and older guys. And, and he continued to do that as a head coach in Brooklyn. But now, you know, he's going to be establishing relationships with the likes of Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, and, and an organization that has also championship aspirations. We could see these guys in the finals. And there could yeah. be a story about Kenny Atkinson versus Steve Nash. You know, um, and uh, I just think that it, that it's a well-earned job. Um, mm. I hope that it, I'm, I'm glad that he's probably getting incredibly well compensated. You know, the likes of Yudoka and Atkinson right now might be getting paid more than probably the future head coach of what's happening in Oklahoma City because, like I said, Steve Barmer, $70 billion the last time I checked, and Joe Sy, $16 billion. To be a lead assistant or to be, like, you know, one of the top assistants uh, within the coaching ranks, you know, you're probably getting seven figures, you know, or, yeah. or, or late six figures in that sort of realm. Again, uh, money we can't dream of uh, unless people start sharing this podcast and it goes gangbusters, we turn into Bill Simmons 2.0. Though I don't want to be Bill Simmons because uh, yeah, we have a lot of issues with him in general. Um, <coughs> Celtics, Kyrie. <laughs> but uh, super happy for Kenny Atkinson. 
Really excited to see what he does. Um, it's going to be weird seeing him in that the blue, white, and red and, and talking at like halftime. But um, it'll be interesting to see how many... Uh, <laughs> uh, Paul George. <laughs> um, bring those R's. Maybe... Maybe get some uh, some training from maybe like Steve Vala hires him a, a dictation coach or or, a, or, a, or an interview coach to to cut out those ums and ahs because um, Kenny Atkinson on a podcast would be awful. Coach, awesome. Podcaster, awful. I mean, I've, I think I've said um a couple of times in this podcast, so it's the pot calling the kettle black. But yeah, yeah, I, but I you like might to do it for a second, not ten. <laughs> yeah, uh, Kyrie Irving's injuries. Uh, it feels like he's thinking as he's doing the ums. He's just like, okay. It's Where like, is this sentence going? It's like, Kenny, you can take a breath or you can <laughs> wait a second to react to the question and think about it. And it, it's like, oh, whatever. But uh, like you said, Jack, I think it's also good for him to just be in the NBA. You know what I mean? And like continue to show, I, I guess like show face, but like he, people aren't going to forget who he is. But just like being in that role with the Clippers, I feel like it kind of builds on some hype. If the Clippers were winning a championship, it would even help his chances more at getting a job next year, which I think he'll have a job in the next few seasons. I don't think it's a lock it'll be next year because you kind of got to wait and see and kind of how things unfold. And it felt like this season there was a lot of vacancies, so I'd have to guess next year there won't be as many. Yeah, I mean, who knows? The NBA is a weird and funny yeah. place and, and, and the purse strings of owners and, and, and that sort of thing. We have no idea what could happen. But I do like the point you sort of made that, you know, Kenny Atkinson's staying within the NBA circles because we have so many former head coaches and the the point you did make as well about it, if the Clippers win a championship and have success, what generally does happen is the assistant coaches from those yep. winning organizations get poached. You know, yep. Toronto, San Antonio, all these different teams generally are like, okay, you guys have won. You've got assistant coaches there that have impacted winning. Let's take you. And, and yep. you know you know how to win. You have winning habits, as we sort of alluded to earlier in this podcast, talking about Steve Nash and, and Kevin Durant. So I think it bodes well. And, and Steve, and I, I, we wish Kenny Atkinson all the best. We've given him probably a, little, a, a lot of criticism on the Brooklyn buzz, but uh, it's nothing but love here. We've given him a lot of love too, though. So Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, it's all love at this point in time for Kenny Atkinson. And, you know, um, we aren't fans of the Los Angeles Clippers here at the Brooklyn Bars, JVT and the outlet much, but there is going to be an also little bit of a sweet soft spot because it can. Yeah, 100%. Jack, always a pleasure talking Nets with you. Big thanks, everybody, for listening. As always, you can catch us on all streaming platforms. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.